dream teams, working together without falling apart by Shane Snow. He is a science and business journalist and a speaker on innovation and lateral thinking. And I'm actually going to start with the afterword. So the afterword of the book is written by Sheryl Sandberg, which uh, you may know as the COO of Facebook, and Adam Grant, a professor of organizational behavior at Wharton. And they write, quote, the most critical ingredient for collaboration, especially between people who are very different, is mutual respect. And there is a accompanying illustration that plots respect on the y-axis and differences on the x-axis. You can picture that, right? I can. Okay, good. Yeah, I know <laughs> our math pro- resident math person. So misery is the result of great differences and low levels of respect. Conversely, high levels of respect and great differences is where the magic of group, group progress happens. And I thought that was really illuminating to see that visually. Um, But the author, Shane Snow, writes that a cognitively diverse team is like a group of people pulling on different sides of a rubber band. So too much tension and snap, the rubber band breaks. The group breaks down. Conversely, in the absence of tension, there is no forward progress. So um, from this book, I just wanted to share a few insights from the teams highlighted in the book on what to do if things get chaotic or stressful. And surprisingly, the answer is play. Mm -hmm. Okay, tell me more. I know. So, okay. So neuroscientists have demonstrated that play and laughter can actually change our brains to be less fearful or to, quote, end attention. Now, this book reveals how dream teams function through stories. And so some of the stories related to correcting overly tense relationships include tickling depressed rats (laughs) (laughs) and how playing soccer or football Uh, was the thing that made Jewish immigrants in Argentina part of the in-group around the turn of the century. And I just want to read a little bit from the book because I thought this that one story was so fascinating. And so um, just a a little passage from the book says, granted, the factors that drive social change are varied and complex, but in Buenos Aires, one factor is beyond dispute. Participation in football was higher there than in any other city. And they found that societies where play is used in social practices show a more fluid democratic structure and are more open to new incomers. It it makes perfect sense, but it's just something I had never thought of before and probably would never have made that conclusion in any of my lifetime. That's so interesting because um, one of my favorite former principals, he had the saying, he said, work together, eat together, play together, pray together. And we always, he would start our meetings with something like that when we were eating like a faculty luncheon. And then he would always try to insert things that were a little bit whimsical or these moments of play and lots of laughter. And it was such a good relational faculty and I think his leadership style with including those elements mm-hmm. really made a difference yeah. so that that's not surprising to hear that the the book is about that and yeah. how important it is it's uh, yeah it was it was really illuminating so I'm thinking you know if I'm, I'm, that just made me start thinking of how can we do little things to increase camaraderie or just talk to people that we don't normally talk to in the guise of or on the in the basis of play so that's something I'm still kind of wrapping my head around, but let me give you one more example um, in that uh, from the book. But play outside of sport um, also can have the same um, psychological effect. So Snow tells the story of two companies with very different cultures that merged. You can kind of imagine a scenario if you're new to a team or if you're now working with um, a, a different group of people, they already have a way of working together and yours may be very different. So this is something, this scenario is something that I think that we can all kind of relate to. So 
the owner noticed obviously some tension among the two groups. So at their first conference, she came <laughs> dressed as Corella Deville. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and wow. she, <laughs> what yeah, a leader! I know. She like facetiously announced that she was coming to ruin the old company, basically addressing the elephant in the room. It broke the tension. It broke the ice. And she continued her efforts with like fun and silly games and competitions so much so that play became part of the fabric of the organization. Wow. And it continues in their culture like to this day. So I thought that was a really interesting, um, an interesting story about how play, especially when it's embedded and expected, can reduce tension, can make people come together and just ease the pains of, you know, combining two different companies into one. Mm -hmm. But um, just a final thought on the book. This, it's, it's a great book. Um, it reveals how dream teams function all through stories. Everything is story-based. And those stories run the gamut from the foiling of the Baltimore plot to assassinate Abraham Lincoln to the formation of the Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, like, <laughs> seriously, there's amazing very stories. Diverse. Very diverse stories in this book. So, um, again, I just I think that was um, – it's important to share when, you, when you're on a team because everybody is on a team or teams at some point um, in their career or throughout their career. And teams don't always function quite, you know, healthily. So I think it's nice to know that inserting some type of play can kind of help you through those stressful or chaotic times. Great pick. Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to reading that as our team yes, book. It is. It's our book study um, for this year. So, yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that to the table, Absolutely. Ashley. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to completely switch gears and talk instruction <laughs> now, but I do appreciate the, the team talk. Um, so let me tell you about my favorite book of the spring and the summer, and it's called The Edge of Protocols Field Guide, and it's by John Carippo and Marlena Heburn. And I practiced several of the Edge of Protocols with teachers all summer, and I just can't wait to share them with as many people as possible. They were just fantastic and got such a fantastic, amazing review every time I tried one and explained it. So I want to share it with you all as well. Excellent. So I saw an interview with um, John Carippo on Matt Miller's Ditch That um, Summit last Christmas, and then I just thought, oh, what is this? So I got the book. Oh, that's how you learned about the yes, book? Okay. Yes. So got the book, started reading it, reading it in the spring, and I figured I could infuse it into every single session I did mm -hmm. th this summer. And now the authors are so popular. They are all over podcasts and Twitter. And so you probably don't even need to read the book. You can hear about them. They're, they are telling great examples and stories, and they have a website and templates and all kinds of things. But from the reading, from the podcast, an edge of protocol is a framework that you do repeatedly in your classes so that the students can focus on the process rather than the con or, um, no, strike that. They focus on the content rather than the pr process. So the um, author Marlena Heburn explains it actually as a picture frame. So the edge protocols are the picture frame and the curriculum you put in is the picture. So you can change the picture, but the process always stays the same. Mm -hmm. And so that when you say, okay, today we're going to iron chef something, the kids already know what that means. And so they don't have to focus on, well, what Google slide do we use and where do we look and what does this mean? They already know what that means. And so then they can focus on the learning and the understanding. So um, let me just share one of the examples and the one that I think got the biggest buzz this summer was actually one called a um, Smart Start. 
and those are smaller processes and protocols at the beginning of the book that there are some that aren't repeated because you only need to do them once or at twice. At the beginning of the school year. Right. Like to build culture. Well, and, and that's exactly what okay. they say is the, these are all about building community culture in your classroom and also about learning the technology. Mm-hmm. And so the one that I loved this summer was called Frayer a Friend. And the idea is to um, quickly find out about another person in your class by using a Freer model and interview the other person. So you put the person's name in the center. And if you're familiar with that graphic organizers, there are four squares around the center. And the interview model that I used, it was describe four things you like, four things you don't like, your dream pet, and describe the person that you're interviewing. That got a little bit awkward at one point (laughs) because someone was saying, she's very mature (laughs) (laughs) and they were describing someone. And so I said, what you could do is take a picture. So (laughs) then we talked about taking pictures on your devices and adding your picture to the Google Slides. So I made this as a template and then we had a collaborative Google Slide deck and then I chose one of the quadrants, which was tell one favorite. So the participants went around, introduced um, their colleague, and they just picked out one thing in the favorite. So here's Ashley, and she's a digital learning consultant, and she loves lemon flavored cupcakes (laughs) or whatever. All true. (laughs) And then what the, the authors say in the book is the way that you build culture and community is you ask the um, kids or participants, okay, listen for similarities. So, oh, Albert, you like Mexican food. Ashley likes Mexican food. Now you all pair up and define some other things that you have in common. It's like, oh, we have a lot of pet lovers in this class. So all the dog people over here, all the cat people get over here. And so then you see that even in this very um, diverse class, like oh we all love this Mm -hmm. or we all don't like this and so that was just a a really neat way to introduce participants to each other get them talking get them playing with collaborative google slides and they were all about i am so doing this in august you know just like this is such a great way but then the other thing that we talked about is okay how many of them knew the Freyer model? Mm-hmm. Most of them knew that for vocabulary. And then how many of them knew Google Slides? A lot of them did not. So it was a very low-risk way to introduce collaborative Google Slides. Mm-hmm. And they they loved the idea of, okay, here's making collaborative Google Slides. Here's how to um, create a template. We talked about that. So it was just one of the many activities in this book that I can use over and over again with a wide range of audiences. And the kinder teachers in the group, they even said, oh, I can adapt this by changing it to images because the littles can't read. So what's your favorite color? And then they would put like a red square or a favorite animal. So, well, and that's one, one thing in the book that I, that I absolutely adore is they have adaptions for littles and during, I mean, each smart start and each protocol, if they, you know, see a need to adapt it for, for littles, mm-hmm. they have that in the book and it's fantastic. Well, and all the recent podcast interviews that I've heard them say, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're doing second grade or if you're doing AP U.S. history, you could still use these protocols and it's just the framework. Mm-hmm. And and so I, like I mentioned, they have templates on their website. They are all over Twitter. They're very supportive on Twitter. Um, they 
people will put something out, use the hashtag EduProtocols, and then John Carippo and Marlena Heburn are jumping in on the conversation. I saw that this weekend, in uh, fact. Yeah, responding. Yeah. So, And I just, I, it's such a novel idea to me to separate the, the strategy or protocol from the content. And it's just, it's never something that it, that's occurred to me before in doing that you are setting your class up for like a smooth sailing the rest of the mm -hmm. year. Once they know those protocols mm -hmm. and know the directions right. kind of, then it, that, that is that, that load, that stress is off the table for, right. for the students. Right. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing that John talks about a lot is the idea of how we can procrastinate and we can, um, what I never do that. <laughs> we can create any project and the amount, I mean, the amount of time is given yes. is 30 minutes and we only take two minutes to do the project. Right. And so he has that little time constraint in there. You always want to give them just enough time to finish. So they do feel that pressure. And then once they really start understanding the protocols and how the tech works, then you can maybe pretty up your slides. Mm -hmm. But the first time you're doing it, you know, I give them seven minutes to frayer a friend. So they have you know, to get on the slides, they have to make their slide, they have to interview each other, get this text in there. And if you're brand new to Google Slides, you barely are done. And I'm like, at least get this one quadrant done. Right. But once you have practiced over and over and over again, then like I said, but that time thing is a huge part of the, the protocols. Um, the other thing is, um, and I think I heard this on a podcast from Marlena Heburn, is that she was in a second grade class and there were 15 anchor charts on the wall and all these different graphic organizers. And so if I'm a second grader, how in the world do I remember, like, what does this circle mean in this Venn diagram? Or right. how do, what do I put in the intersection of these two? But if you limit this to we're doing a Frayer model and we're doing something they call Cyber Sandwich, which is the two overlapping Venn diagrams. Those are the only ones that we can do and we can make everything fit into those two protocols. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about the 15 anchor charts and what every little square means. Right. And, and so just making that whole process simpler mm -hmm. so then they can focus on the content. Yeah. So highly recommend it. It was fantastic. And I continue to think of ways um, that like next week I can use edu protocols and whatever training I'm doing. I yeah. Think, so it's, it's, it's an amazing book. It really is. I re was rereading it this weekend. I'm not quite all the way through yet, but yeah, just really great ideas in there that any, anyone can use any grade level, any content area. It's fantastic. So I'll add all those links and blogs and things in the show notes. Awesome. For... Thanks, Catherine. Okay. Al, what about you? All right. So I'm going to ask a question, start off by asking a question. Where's your phone right now? next to me mine's on the floor actually okay so i'm gonna just check is it in arm reach yes and so um we are kind of in a new age and i don't know if you guys have noticed but um, our phones are usually very close to us at all times and it's funny i was actually watching a verizon commercial the other day um, where they were actually showing the first car phone <laughs> oh, and yeah. they were being the, the that. person that created it. Actually, they were interviewing them. So it was just very interesting um, that uh, we now live in an age where our phones are tied to our, they're in our hands or in our pockets. They're very close to us at all times. I mean, if you could just chip me so I wouldn't have to carry it around, I, that'd be okay with me too. We're, we're working on it. We're working <laughs> on it. So one of the things that, um, one of the books I'd like to share um, is a book by Adam Alter. Um, and it is The Rise of Addictive Technology and the Business of Keeping Us Hooked. And so this is a book that is actually um, 
primarily focusing on behavioral addiction, uh, but it dives into the nature of technology and how it can become addictive if we're not aware of how we're using it. And I think it's an important thing, especially as we think about even with digital citizenship, but just keeping in mind the importance of having a balance in how we're using technology. Um, so there's a number of different resources and things that he shares within the book, but he really does a great job of being able to unpack um, the nature of how um, technology can be very addictive and how the fact that it is actually created and designed, that there are actually people that are actually, they have um, a job and their job is to be able to create um, the most addictive experience that they can. And so wow. that is something for us to keep in mind as we're using technology to make sure that we have those balance. Now, there's a lot of tools that have been coming out lately um, that I've actually, I'm going to tell a little bit on myself, but I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to try out the digital well-being app that is on Android or if you're on iOS, they also have similar tools that are available as mm -hmm. well. But they give you an ability to be able to kind of track your usage on oh, the smart on of, your smartphone. I've heard of those before. Yeah. Now I'm going to be very honest with you. Um, I am not doing very good about <laughs> it about actually sticking to it because I've actually gone into the digital well-being app on my Android and actually set specific limits for apps. Um, and I've actually found myself actually just going in and tweaking and adding a few more minutes. <laughs> so it really has been the system. <laughs> I'm working on it. So, but it is something that is just very, uh, just to be mindful of um, that we do, um, that it's a real thing that we have to be aware of. And especially when we're dealing with students, that's something we want to keep in mind that as we're working with students and that having those conversations of being able to create those balance. I am by no means that person that will tell you that um, technology is evil and let's stay and let's run the other way. Um, but I am becoming more and more aware of just having that balance of being able to make sure um, that I'm intentional about how I'm interacting with the technology that I'm using. Um, and even with my kids at home, I'm just making sure that I'm balancing out their screen time and the things that they're doing. Um, one quick note um, he mentions in the book is um, you should, and I don't know, you can let me know how difficult this would be for you, uh, but you should charge your phone um, in another room. So... Is that something that you could do? I've done that only because I have the AirPods and I can go from room to room and not be tied to my phone. <laughs> Once again. I think there's an issue. I think I may need to get one of those apps. Check out uh, what I've been doing on my phone. I'm sure I, I know for a fact that the most used app on my phone is the podcast app by mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. So hopefully right now you can hear that we're having an intervention <laughs> with all of us. I think this is a setup. It is. And so, um, so how about you, Catherine? Well, I, um, I guess it was the Note to Self podcast with Manusha Marodi, who did the Bored and Brilliant yes. trial. And so she mentioned those apps that could check your minutes on your phone mm -hmm. and the um, actual time that you're opening the apps. And I did not do that. <laughs> But so now, Al, I'm kind of I, I'm feeling the pressure, but I will tell you, I turned off all my notifications. Mm. And so um, that was one thing that I learned from from that. And then I deleted an app and Facebook. And so if I want to get onto Facebook, I have to go through the web or a get lot on. of people are doing mm -hmm. that. I've heard that. And when I'm in my office, I try to put my phone in my desk drawer so it's not out there looking at me. 
And I've heard even the research about having your phone in front of you versus hidden from view. Mm -hmm. So I'm not quite at the intervention stage as Ashley, <laughs> but, but I'm close, I will admit. And my phone is in airplane mode on the floor right now. So, and y'all's is on the table. So yeah. mm -hmm. it is only on the table because I'm showing the app. And oh. <laughs> a little bit more. Um, so one of the cool things about the digital well-being app, and I can only speak primarily for Android, um, um, is the fact that it can I can see how many times I've unlocked my phone. Mm. I can also see how many notifications I've received. I can see the time in each app. Um, so it's really it's really good just to kind of get a perspective. Um, I think it's nice that we're starting to see a lot of these tools come available. But one of the things I want to balance it out as well, and Alan Alter, Adam Alter actually speaks about it as well in his book, and he actually starts his book with this, is the fact that a lot of these um, tech CEOs don't actually allow for this, their tools that they're building to be used in their own home. And so that was actually something with Steve Jobs that he actually didn't, um, he didn't have iPads in his own, own home. And so, um, so that's something that we just need to be mindful of and just have and understand that that does not mean that these tools are inherently bad, um, but it really is being mindful about how we're using them and to make sure that we're using them in an effective way. I mean, then understanding that it is important to have those moments where we're not using technology and we're able to connect and we're able to build those relationships um, that are not just online. Well, um, will you add the name of the iOS app? I will. That, um, okay, so while you were talking, I was listening. Um, <laughs> but on your phone. But on my phone, I pulled up where, you know, under settings, you can look at the battery. And so you can look at battery usage and see what apps are using the most battery, which is kind of the same thing. Like you get oh, an idea. Right. Uh, and what's number one? Podcasts. Podcasts mm. Followed by Facebook and mail. Um. <laughs> Okay. Not surprising. Okay, I will accept the challenge and I will download that app and see how I do this week and um, just we'll, we'll let you know. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll report back. Let's right. just say there was a moment that I was actually um, I had set a limit on Twitter um, and I was I was just trying it out and it was set for thirty minutes. And then a day? I got is that a daily? A day. Okay. And so and I got to the point where I was reading, I was going through a thread, and then I was getting on for a Twitter chat. And then I got the notification that I have two minutes left and then I needed to be off Twitter. And so that really threw me off. And so you went just in know, and adjusted the just settings. Be prepared that you uh, want to give yourself a little bit of grace and know that um, these are great tools, um, but don't go so restrictive that you um, you completely lose your mind. <laughs> Good, good advice. Well, taking that back to Ashley's, instead of playing on your phone, then play with your teammates or do yes, something, exactly. um, do something to build teams and um, create that dream team. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so great discussions, great books offered, and we'll leave all of the information in our show notes. But thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter at Dig Learn Radio. And then please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the show notes for the resources we refer to today.